Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. A central theme that has been running throughout really the whole of Epictetus's discourses in a sort of implicit way, but which he ends up focusing on in a very explicit way at certain points. For example, in chapter three of book three, which, which I'm going to focus on here as sort of a launching point, one of the key ideas is that of practical reasoning. How is it that we carry out these reasoning processes that have to do with, with questions like, well, what should we do? What is the good thing? What is bad? What would be advantageous to me? How do I evaluate goods in relation to each other if I have to choose between them or engage in some sort of sacrifice of one for another? And, you know, there's broader questions concerned with this too, like, well, what really is the good for me? Or how should I be structuring my life? Or am I a good person or a bad person? Do I work things out in such a way that makes sense? Or are there some aspects of my life and my decision-making and my reasoning processes where after I look at them, I'm, I, you know, I, I have a reaction of, what the hell is going on there? All of that fits within the scope of practical reasoning. Practical reasoning is the use of, of human rationality, including for the Stoics, not just our rational faculty, but our, also our faculty of choice, because they're two sides of the same coin, to arrive at judgments and choices and actions that have to do with values like the good and the bad, the just and the unjust, the ugly and the beautiful, the useful and the harmful, what is in accordance with duty, what's out of accordance with duty, all these sorts of things that we often call moral values. So how do processes of practical reasoning actually work? The Stoics and Epictetus in particular have some fairly clear ideas about this, and I put some of them up on the board, and I also put a diagram here that will be a little bit helpful. So let's, let's look at the diagram first, right? We have some sort of process of inference that takes place when practical reasoning is occurring, and it's going to arrive at some sort of conclusion, right? And the conclusion could be an action. You know, if, if things are, as I put up here, carrying out, the things are working in a very implicit way, I might have what we call a reaction, but that reaction can actually be unpacked as involving an entire reasoning process. You know, for example, somebody attacks me and threatens me, and without even thinking about it, because I've been doing, you know, martial arts and I've been practicing forms, I suddenly find myself with them in a headlock, and I'm, you know, giving them some business while I'm doing that. It's not just the body merely reacting. There's some sort of reasoning process about what one ought to do, what would be good, what would be bad, what things are vulnerable in the situation, what needs to be protected. All those are, are actually getting rolled into there and are winding up in some sort of conclusion. Very often when we deliberate about practical matters, we come to some sort of judgment. This is a good thing. This is a better thing. Here's the right course of action. We may, in fact, give a whole bunch of justification for that, but that is sort of unpacking the process of inference and all the bases on which we are coming to that conclusion through the inference. You notice I have a lot of words here. These are the sort of things that go into practical reasoning. 
it's not just beliefs and judgments that we happen to hold and which we bring to the table, so to speak. I should have put in there as well preconceptions, because for the Stoics, preconceptions are prolapsis, these general principles. They play an incredibly important role in our practical reasoning. They are essentially cognitive in the way that we look at them. But then we also have desires and aversions. We come to situations already sort of being affectively steered in this direction and away from this thing over here. Some of these things are, are rather trivial. Do you like broccoli or not? Do you like Brussels sprouts or not? I was a, not a picky eater as a kid, but I've seen plenty of kids who were picky eaters, including you know, my, my sibling. And you know, those are desires and aversions. We can have much more important desires and aversions. They have to bear on things that are quite momentous for us, right? And and those desires and aversions, they have a affective side and they also have a cognitive side. They are involving judgments about what is good and what is bad. They could be conclusions of processes of practical reasoning. Emotions. Emotions for the Stoics are not just feelings that come over us. They involve some sort of value judgments and quite often some sort of inferential process that we have taken that arrives at feeling an emotion as a conclusion. So when we feel a sense of great joy, elation beyond what's strictly speaking within the, the range uh, or the limits of reason, which the Stoics say, well, you got to be a little bit careful about that. That is something that can not only lead to people seeing things in a certain way or choosing in a certain way. It can also be the product of that. Habits. Habits are generated by doing similar things over and over and over again. We have good habits. We have bad habits. Those play an incredibly important role as far as Epictetus is concerned in the way that we use our rational faculty or the faculty of choice in the way that we draw conclusions. Habits sometimes almost substitute for or guide automatically the processes of reasoning. So if I'm an angry person, if I have a habit of interpreting people talking about things as insults to myself that then I have to avenge, the anger itself is an emotion, but the habit does a lot of the thinking for me, and then I sort of assent to it, I go along with it, and I wind up in a certain conclusion. What Epictetus calls appearances, the fantasia, though literally the things that, that appear to us, things that we experience, how we view them, that is also a major part of the raw material for our practical reasoning. All of these things go into this hopper that we could say, or you know, the machine, or the grinder of the rational faculty and the faculty of choice, which comes to some sort of conclusion. And I put this arrow here showing that the process is a continual one. There's, there's something like a feedback loop, particularly with habits, but also with beliefs and desires and aversions, right? So what ends up being the conclusion at one moment can then come in and become a belief or be an aversion or be an emotion that is functioning as raw material for the decision-making process or the thinking things out process that will lead to another conclusion. I also put a sort of arrow here representing the fact that for, for Epictetus, and we're going to talk about this in just a moment, the rational faculty or the faculty of choice is reflexive. We do have a, some degree of freedom and responsibility for how we use our intellect or how we think about things, how we reason things out in practical matters. We are not mere automatons, although we can often reason in ways that, that seem kind of like that, but we have some measure 
measure of capacity to change the ways that we think about things, the judgments that we've arrived at. Even affective things like emotions, desires and aversions, we have some degree of control over that as well. So let's go through this, this material now. It's very important to, to point out that for the Stoics, much of our practical reasoning is not carried out in an explicit way. As a matter of fact, some of the exercises that we would want to do if we were trying to use Stoic philosophy in a practical way would be taking implicit processes of reasoning and making them explicit so that we can actually get a good look at them and then decide whether they make sense or not or whether we want to keep them or modify them. That, by the way, is also another thing that cognitive behavior therapy, which is connected with, with Stoicism, also does. So when we say that something is explicit, we mean that we, you know, we're actually engaging in it in a way where it's visible. We might be doing a pro and con list. We might be using some sort of decision-making procedure. We might be talking it out with somebody else. Implicit processes means that there is a reasoning process going on, but it's kind of below the surface or at least parts of it are below the surface. When we talk about making assumptions, that's implicit, right? There's, so there's a lot that ends up being implicit. I, I don't think that Epictetus actually thinks that we should try to make everything that's implicit explicit, but there will be some involvement in that. Now, he's also got this wonderful image that he uses in this chapter and also in other areas of currency being traded. And this might give you the sense that much of our reasoning, our practical reasoning about things that we value is in some sense automatic. And it can go automatically, it has to go automatically much of the time, but that doesn't mean that it, it, it does so all of the time. So here's a, how he frames this metaphor. He says, it's the nature of every soul to assent to the true, dissent from the false, and to withhold judgment in a matter of uncertainty. So is it, it is its nature to be moved with desire towards the good and with aversion towards the evil and to feel neutral towards what we call neither good nor evil. So a lot of this depends on whether we're getting good and evil correct, right? So if we, if we think that something is good, we feel a desire for it, right? If I think eating candy all day is good, I'm going to desire eating candy all day. So he says, just as neither the banker nor the greengrocer may legally refuse the coinage of Caesar, but if you present it, whether he likes it or not, he has to turn over to you what you are purchasing with it. Also it is with the soul. The instant the good appears, it attracts the soul to itself, while the evil repels the soul from itself. Sort of like this, you know, currency. giving You give the, the grocer the coin, he's got to give you the lettuce. And he can't say, sorry, refusing service or anything like that in, in, in Apictetus' view. So he says, a soul will never refuse a clear sense impression of good any more than a man will refuse the coinage of Caesar. On this concept of the good hangs every impulse to act both of man and of God. So he goes on a little bit further and he says, when therefore different persons have different pieces of coinage, a man offers the coin and gets what is bought by it. Now, what is, he, what is he talking about there? Well, different people are working with different conceptions uh, that they have about what is fundamentally good and what is fundamentally bad for them, what it is that they desire and are averse to. So he says, a thief has come to the province as proconsul. What coinage does he use? Silver. Offer it and carry away what you wish. You can bribe him, right? Because he is going to come to conclusions like, oh, well, that guy's bribing me. That's a good thing for me. I'll take the bribe and let him take the amphitheater or whatever, right? I'll let him get off of the trial even though I should convict him. That's a practical reasoning conclusion right there. 
An adulterer has come. What coinage does he use? Frail wenches. Take, says one, the coin and sell me the little baggage. Give and buy. Another is interested in boys. Give him the coin and take what you wish. Another is fond of hunting. Give him a fine horse or dog. With sighs and groans, he will sell for it what you wish. For another constrains him from within. The one who has established this currency, and who has established that currency? The person is establishing that currency for themselves. So what does this mean? It means that it's quite important for you to figure out what your currency is, or as we often say, what is the price by which you might be bought? But the point here is that it works almost like an economic transaction. There is a kind of automatic uh, flow to our practical reasoning processes, unless, of course, we intervene. If we reflect upon them, which is something that is within our power, if we engage in reflective determination of practical reasoning processes, like what we do when we decide to say, what is going on with me? Let me figure out how the hell did I arrive at that conclusion that that was a good thing for me to do. We take an implicit process, we make it explicit, we see the places where perhaps you know we should reject this appearance or we should say, well, that emotion isn't really relevant here or, you know, we look at a desire and it seems to be for a good thing, but then we look at it closer and we say, that's not really a good thing. I'm not happy that I'm feeling that desire. I'd better suspend that for a moment. Or we look at our beliefs. Do we have good grounds for the things that we are believing or assuming about people? We're capable of reflectively intervening with our own processes of practical reasoning, becoming conscious of them and then tinkering around with them to improve them. Now, when we look at our processes of practical reasoning, we will probably see that we have all sorts of contradictions that don't appear when we only look at the single process of, you know, starting with some, some premises and carrying out an inference and arriving at some sort of practical conclusion. It's when we start placing these conclusions in relation to each other or when we start looking very carefully at the raw material that we're beginning with or we start looking at how we carry out this process of inference, we may start to notice what Epictetus calls literally conflicts, mache. It's a word used for battle, but we translate it as contradictions, and you can think of it as a practical contradiction within the person. So if the person says something like you often see people doing, I think that having self-control is a really great thing, and I value that within my life, and then you watch them, and they're over at the buffet stuffing themselves with you know, their fifth plate of food and they're coming over to the table and they're, you know, oh, I can't believe I ate so much. There's some sort of contradiction going on. Things are not lining up. And there is a process of practical reasoning that happened, probably an implicit one, you know, something like this. Man, food is really great. It tastes great. It's so wonderful to eat lots and lots of food. There's food over there. I should go over there and eat as much as I possibly can. There's the conclusion, right? And then the guy stuffs himself with all that. Well, he has arrived at that through a process of reasoning. And the way that you're going to get him to stop doing that is to get him to see that reasoning process and where the flaws in it are, where are the conflicts with the other things that he 
claims to value are, and then he'll have to make a decision, because it's his faculty of choice or his rational faculty, about what he wants to give priority to. This is why, from a stoic perspective, you can't actually make other people good. That's not something within your realm of action, the things that are your business. That's up to them. They are an independent person with their own faculty of choice. They have to decide whether they want to become more practically rational or not. The same thing applies to us. We can scrutinize ourselves and we have to decide whether we want to improve our processes of practical reasoning or not. Part of that means admitting where our processes are going wrong. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.